there was never any expectations from my parents um, in terms of performance or what we chose to pursue, but more like I think I set standards for myself of what I thought define success in life, mm. which yeah. I'm now currently questioning. <laughs> <laughs> Dad is such a mystery. Dad's such a dickhead. Dad used to be a drug dealer. Dad is missing. Again. Dad kisses on the lips. Dad's kind of hot. Dad locked me in a cello case. Dad ate my chips. But who is Dad? Really? To me. We're back with another Dad to Me, the podcast that invites Dad to the beach, nicks his G-banger and gives it a sniff. <laughs> <laughs> oh today, today, an absolute dad doozy on the cards. Jump Daddy, do I have your ear? Uh, well, look at it this way, Dr. Tom. You're Mike Tyson... I'm Evander Holyfield, and my ear is making its way through your lower intestine. So, yes, I'm listening. <laughs> Gross. All right. Our kid of the day is Kat, a poster child of multicultural Australia. Daughter of an Indian mother and an English father, Kat's huge brain went down the corporate route till she became, like her father, a big wig at a big four accountancy firm. Unlike Dad... Kat has lost faith in the corporate world. So she's now in the throes of a mild quarter-life crisis. And as she asks herself the big questions, Dad is going to be caught in the crossfire. Kat's dad goes by a host of mysterious monikers. To some, he's the colonel. To Venezuelans, El Tigre. (laughs) To you and me, it could be Blondie or even the ropey tea planter. Born in England and sent to boarding school from an early age, the Colonel is a man of suave reserve and crisp button-up shirts. His relationship with daughter Kat is definitely a warm one. But there are also some pretty big rifts in terms of culture and vocation and even life priorities that give a bit of a quiver to the Colonel's stiff upper lip. Which begs the question, will the Colonel keep calm and carry on? Or will he cave under Kat's blitzkrieg? <laughs> yeah, Commissar. <laughs> so they were on a bus. So I think my dad was just um, spending a few days in India. I think this was when he was working in Cairo at the time. Could be wrong. Saw my mum, who was an air hostess, a glamorous 70s nice. air hostess at the time. She was coming home um, from a trip and... Look, okay, so this part is up for dispute depending on who you ask, my mum or my dad. Or well, the reckon- onlookers on the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. He reckons he was just asking for directions and she was like he obviously, you know, wanted a piece. So he asked her for directions for where he was going. I don't know. I want to say it was like a temple or something and I think it was right near where my mum was getting off the bus. So, you know, being the friendly Indian young woman she was, she said, oh, hey, like that's right near where I'm going. Let me show you. And he obviously took that as a green light to be like, yep, I'm in. Yep. So I think they exchanged. Okay, I don't want to use exchange digits because that's probably not a thing. Maybe they exchange carrier pigeons. <laughs> yeah, carrier <laughs> pigeons. Um, address for like writing to each other, whatever it is. And then they kept in contact after that. I think to be fair, my mum's pretty much. I was like, yeah, great. I now know someone who lives in London. So if I ever go there and need a place to stay, 
got a place to stay. There was something in it for her. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But so she told me that the line that got her was oh. um, when he said that he was considering investing in property and she was like, oh, property, <laughs> huh? <laughs> investing in property. So she's like, this is this is the kind of man I could have kids with. <laughs> Perfect. I used to feel really sorry for him because you've got to imagine. So being of obviously like half and half descent, You've got my mum who's got this like beautiful dark like Indian skin and then all three kids, we all have kind of like, you know, in between, I don't know, what would we call it, caramel-coloured complexion. (laughs) And then poor white dad who's literally like like glowing like we, we need a torch at night, like just get little daddy Ling. Over here. And so I think just <laughs> his his entire summers every year will literally just like, I just want to be the same colour as the rest of the family. Like Damn. he never said it out loud. And so he'd come in and be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, got a good tan, but he's just gone beetroot, tomato red. There was, there was nothing happening there except for some possible future skin cancer. So, yeah. If ever there was an argument against the British Empire, <laughs> it was how white people do not belong in the southern parts of the world. Anyway, your, your dad managed to, to get around. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. That's actually another funny thing about him in that being the British gentleman he is. He literally, I don't think I've ever seen a day where my dad is not immaculately turned out dressed. Like wow. every morning, so disciplined. Probably this is the colonel coming out. Um, like wakes up, has his sh- does his exercise, does all of that and stuff, has his shower and is always fully dressed in like a proper like button-up shirt. Not always like long sleeve, like Mm. sometimes short sleeve, you know, just to keep things When he gets a bit crazy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we'll wear chinos or khakis and stuff if it's just a casual day, but proper like shoes, socks, belt, pants, button-up shirt, like every day. Kat, you have built this guy up so much. Yeah. Now, I just have an overwhelming feeling that I want to meet that dad. Yeah, I want to meet that <laughs> dad. I want to meet that dad. <laughs> I want to see that dad <laughs> Holy Just shit. be prepared to be quizzed about your gym routine. <laughs> like if there's any insecurity there, yeah, get that right. out of the way. <laughs> okay, let's watch our figures. Thank you. So- <laughs> Thanks so much for that amazing introduction to your dad. Now... Just to end, we're going to walk through these questions that you've given us. You've entrusted us to ask your dad. This is the sort of crux of the show, the most important bit. So could you just kind of walk us through those questions? Okay, so I guess one of the things that's become very top of mind for me of late is recently I lost my grandfather. Um, So that's obviously been, you know, a very tragic and traumatic experience for us and sorry, the whole family and myself to go through because I was very close to him. He was like a second father to me, grew up living with us, all of that. So that's made me realise that when he passed, I realised there was this entire section of his life that I just genuinely just had no idea about in the sense he was always grandpa to me. So in my mind, his existence started like when I came into the world and when I was his granddaughter and all the amazing years that we spent together But I realised, you know, this man had lived through the Second World War, had, you know, spent the better part of his childhood in India with, you know, just this whole breadth of experience Mm. and I just genuinely had no idea about that. And then it got got me thinking, God, that's the same as my dad. Like in Mm. my mind, my dad's life only started when I came into the (laughs) world, right? Um, (laughs) Which debatably is still true. Um, So I would would really love to hear a lot about his kind of early experiences, you know, in his 20s and 30s, 
all the places that he lived and worked because, like I said before, I can barely name them off the top of my head. And, you know, he speaks so many different languages. How did he learn these languages? How did he um, find, you know, these different cultures? What are some of the experiences had there? Definitely want to hear about the girlfriends as well. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, just kind of hear firsthand of some of his most, you know, meaningful memories from those moments, even funny anecdotes, et cetera, um, and just get a lot more colour for those um, early stages of his life. Also, it'd be interesting to know kind of how I would relate to him as a, mm. a fellow 30-something, you Absolutely. know, like would we have gotten along <laughs> type thing. Great. Thank you. That is a really rich question and we'll certainly prod him on that. Can you take us through the second one? All right. So the other thing, like we couldn't possibly not have a question about religion. So I think he went kind of on like quite a big sort of like research and fact-finding mission and explored actually quite a few different religions. Mm. And did a lot of reading in terms of historians' accounts of kind of Jesus and the resurrection and going to look for like historical proof of all the events that were in the Bible and that's kind of how he approached that. Mm. And so this is a little bit of a point of contention with us because this is probably one of the few things that we get into arguments about. Mm. Previously in conversations when we've talked about religion, look, so I don't know if this is the exact phrasing he's used, but he sort of referred to the years between, I guess, finding um, religion again and finding his spirituality again and in between um, his early years of, I guess, having some level of spirituality as, look, he, I don't know that he used the word the lost years because that sort of sounds like some weird Peter Pan thing, but he used words to that effect. So I'd be super interested just to understand whether or not he has any regrets in terms of kind of his pursuit or lack thereof of spirituality during those years and whether he would maybe do anything differently and maybe go on some sort of a pursuit of that spiritual meaning in life during those years if he could go back. So yeah, I'd like to understand, you know, more about those lost years and how he views them now being kind of, you know, quite like a big, like religious man now. Mm, yeah, right. Okay. Mm. Well, we're, we're here to take your atheist position. Don't worry. We're going to bat for yeah, you. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> big time papist over here. I'm going to see <laughs> if I can bring him into the oldest church. <laughs> Come on, people. Yeah, exactly. Get some Pope in your life. And all the saints and the bread and the blood of Christ. <laughs> That's wine. That's wine on the weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, he... Lo- he- it, it could all just be a ruse because he loves some Jesus juice, loves his red wine. So, you know, maybe it was all just to legitimise his red wine drinking in his later years. All right, you guys can have the Ang- Anglican Catholic chat. I'll, I'll just tap out. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question. Thanks, Kat. And then to finish us off, what's question number three? All right, so question number three is I'm really interested to know, other than, I suppose, my mum, to understand some of the closest and most intimate relationships that he's had in his life. So whether that's siblings, um, friends, uh, other family members, etc. Because I guess there's like a couple of angles here. So one, as a twin, to me, I've obviously just had this like inbuilt best friend, like mm. partner in crime, mm. womb mate, as I like to call her. That's W-O-M-B. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No play, speech play impediment. On. Yeah, no speech impediment here. So for my entire life, I've just always had this other person there that's, it's kind of like this intimacy of relationship that I can't really explain properly to other people mm. because it's it's not like another relationship that I have in my life. And so one, I'd like to understand, you know, what his intimate relationships has, have been, but then also knowing how he grew up, as much as I gather, he grew up in a very typically 
British style, especially of that era and that generation. So he was sent off to boarding school when he was about seven or eight and pretty much, I think, basically grew into an adult like away from the family home and Mm. obviously would come home for holidays Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. But that's obviously like a very different kind of upbringing than I've had and (laughs) I'd be interested to know how that kind of affects like your relationships with your parents and the intimacy of that. Mm. So, yeah, I guess I'd be really interested to understand, yeah, the biggest intimate Mm. relationships he's had in his whole life. Mm, And I wonder if he'll list God at the top of I suppose um, every red-blooded young (laughs) undergraduate or prior to undergraduate has a a need or an interest in the other, the opposite sex and uh, the prettier the better. The additional, I guess, attraction of something more exotic, somebody from Scandinavia or somebody from, in my case, from Croatia as well, was always very interesting because it gave you the both the foreign aspect of relating to somebody from a, another language and mm. another culture and also the fact that they looked and behaved differently. As an English speaker, it was very attractive to mm. a lot of these people to meet mm. somebody who spoke the language yes. fluently and from whom they could learn and, and I guess, a, a two-way cultural exchange. Are there a number of countries you can enumerate that perhaps one of their citizens you had a relationship with at one time or other before you and Eva became the long-standing married couple you are now? Certainly um, when I was at university um, I also had a relationship with a young French lady at the time and that Mm. was quite a deep relationship. The old enemy. Went Mm. quite a long way. Mm. Luckily the French ladies weren't the enemy in those (laughs) 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 And I think when I was in South America too in Venezuela I had a a, uh, a novia, let's say, um, a lady that I was living with there for many years. So, yes, it was, I guess, an interesting part of life of developing relationships and being part of the culture, meeting their brothers, sisters, mm. parents and so on. And uh, I sort of went to a lot of their special events, weddings or mm. special occasions. So that was... It was good. And I. it was interesting because I even got involved with her business. Yeah, so she was in the business of, of designing um, kitchen arrangements. So Kat and her siblings aren't one day going to receive a knock on the door from some half-sibling speaking <laughs> Spanish with a uh, heavy Venezuelan lilt. <laughs> no, I think they're quite safe. It was an interesting point, though, I think, when you, you get to a point where you've been in a country for about mm. three years. Yeah. And in some curious way, the longer you're there, the more you know the language, mm. the less, the, I guess the more you realise that you're not the same as they are. Yeah. You know, you, yes. The, the differences are accentuated. And what stuff. did you see as the primary differences that became apparent in Venezuela? They, I, I guess the Latins are very different from the Brits, although I... I'm sure I softened up. I grew the moustache. Hey. <laughs> As my, my mother called me the ropey tea, tea – what was it? The um, ropey uh, tea planter <laughs> Another one of your Thanks, formidable Mom. array of nicknames. <laughs> and, and so I – and so I never, never gave up the moustache, I think, after that. Held the on ropey to it. tea planter. Yeah, yeah. 
One of the things I used to enjoy was going out with the, the draftsmen in this company that I worked for. So every, I think, quite often after work, but mainly on Friday nights, a bit like Australia, mm. uh, we'd go off to a, a bar and, and sort of knock back a few of the local polar, which was the local beer. And um, I just just sort of engage with these this group of friends, you know, they... Mm. They used to call me, the boss used to call me Tigre. Yes! <laughs> Keep these nicknames stacking up. Tigre. Uh, because he, he, he thought, because I was British, he saw these tigers on the flag, so he immediately branded me as Tigre. El Tigre. El Tigre. <laughs> it, wasn't be, it wasn't because of your, your predatory nature. <laughs> no, 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 very much not. And, oh, the other, and the other name was Katire, which means blonde, actually. Uh-huh. Although I wasn't very blonde, I, compared to them, I was a, a lot fairer, yeah, let's right. say. So some of the boys used to call me that. A blonde tiger ropey tea planter. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> So the next question goes something like this. Your commitment to Christianity wasn't always so strong. And now you talk about the earlier secular part of your life. The phrase Catherine related was lost years. Do you regret not pursuing religion earlier? I, I wouldn't use the words lost years. I would say that they were... I was kind of marking time, trying to do good in a human sort of way, trying to not do harm, but not being the real thing, not being the, the true thing. I think it was, I regret not having, not having been a stronger Christian earlier in my life, perhaps, and use that as my moral compass. Mm-hmm. I think it, I would have had a, a better life in many ways, but probably maybe less fun. I guess the difference between a a true Christian and a a more superficial Christian is one who accepts the word of God and the Bible and the, um, I guess, the moral code that's in that as opposed to just following what the world generally is telling you. Having gone through particularly the the 60s, the laissez-faire of the 60s where as long as you did no harm, you know, mm. everything was pretty much okay. Mm. And it was really um, coming through all of that and then uh, probably about 15 years ago attending a, a coaching session where the leader of the, of the coaching group said, okay, let's all break out into groups and talk about our spirituality. And so that forced <laughs> wow. me to really, really yeah. think about what did I really believe Mm. And I guess as a scientist, I'd always struggled a little bit with things like resurrection and miracles mm. and even even the omni, omnipresence of God. There's this supreme being that actually knows what everybody's thinking and doing. And I guess from there, I, I decided to do more research and um, worked with one of our ministers in the in the local church. So it was really from that, from going through that, doing more exploration that I, I was able to, if you like, suspend my human sense of science and really understand that these things can happen because mm. God, God is um, somebody that we, we can't understand. We, cannot, we can't apply human laws hmm. to what, what um, God is able to do. 
is this now a family practice or a solo <laughs> adventure? This is, no, this is yeah. pretty much my journey. The family um, in various ways have different views of re- religion or mm. God, who their God is or whether God exists in fact. Mm-hmm. Catherine, I think, believes that there's no God or she's an atheist, but I'm not sure where her thinking is now. I'm certainly at their age, I was not really forming views or feeling a need to form views on these deep, on the deep meaning of life. Mm. It was only in later life, I think, started to think more with the, you know, the busyness of life. You tend mm. to not worry about things. You just mm. sort of rush through life doing stuff. Mm. The head, headless chicken syndrome. Yeah. 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 I think for a lot of us, Religion is something that forces us con- to contend with mortality. Was that part of the aspect for your re-embrace of Christianity? Not specifically. No, I think it was more to confirm what I did believe. What mm. was the extent of my belief? Was mm. I a true Christian? Mm. Or was I just a sort of a weekly attend church occasionally kind mm. of Christian and, and not really apply and. So it was really coming to terms with saying, if you, I, I am a Christian, I believe in God, I believe in, in what it says in the Bible as the Word of God, mm. and how do I now apply that in my life mm. and make, make better effort to, to do that. So, you know, as, as a twin, Catherine has this very, very intimate relationship automatically with, with another human being, her sister, but what about you? She wants to know, you know, who in your life have you opened up and been close to? You know, that, that does include family, but also friends. Do you have close, close bonds beyond the family as well? Look, I think personality-wise, the first thing to say is that I'm naturally an introvert, mm. but I, I am opened up by people that I can relate to and those more exotic experiences and people that help me to open up. But I would say a very reserved private person, a bit like my dad was. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think with the the women that I've I've associated with or been close to, yes, I've opened up part of my personality to them. But by and large, quite a, a reasonable circle of acquaintances with whom I I'm happy to shoot the breeze and talk about manly things, you know, like men's shed kind of stuff. (laughs) Or just being El Tigre. (laughs) But look, men, I don't think men generally, and I don't know if Aussie men, I don't think Aussie men are that different from British men, don't really open up. They don't show their emotions emotions very much. And uh, so we... I think if there's something concerning uh, that you want to discuss, there are certain things I can discuss with colleagues, particularly those t- from the church, mm-hmm. where uh, you're in a safe space and you, you're only going to open yourself up mm. uh, to, and be vulnerable if you're in a safe space. Mm. So I have qu- quite a few of those. What about your previous relationships, like the the Novia you mentioned in Venezuela? You know, Are you in touch with those women still? Not anymore, no. Mm. No, I think they're part of the past Mm. and um, the present is the present. I think one has to live in the present. 
it's almost like a an era that one goes through and what you were like when you were say 18 or 25 mm. or 30 is quite different to what you are now and um i guess the relationship was right for who you were at the time but maybe when you get to my age and you meet somebody that you were fond of or in love with when you were 18, you'll say, what? <laughs> care? Did I care? <laughs> did, I, did I really, was I really in love with that person? Because they've probably gone off in totally different directions. <laughs> Maybe physically you, you, you tend to suspend your imagination yes. <laughs> of the person to, as to what they were in, yeah. back in those days. <laughs> yeah. And then and then when you find that they're as old as you are, that's mm. quite a shock, I can tell mm, you. Yeah. I often wonder about this as a big generational difference though, that our generation perhaps it's it's much easier for us to just accumulate relationships and and maintain mm. those relationships throughout our life because we shoot them a Facebook message, we shoot them an email. And perhaps that's a bit superficial, but these long durée relationships, you know, I think are going to be more of a more of a thing for us. But for your generation, perhaps, you know, the difficulties of keeping in touch with mm. your mm. ex from Venezuela that just got in the way. Yeah, look, I'm. I think I'm the sort of person who by and large closes a chapter on mm, my life and mm. I've always been very self-contained, I think, through, particularly through the process of going to boarding school and upbringing. Mm. It's been very much self-reliance based mm. and not needing anyone else and almost being proud of that. Mm. Hello. Hello, Kat. Hey. hey. Hey, all right, we've oh, got you. Oh, it's my favorite podcaster. Yes, well, thank you for saying that. Okay, wow. I wonder if we're going to get a good score from this. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, technically you're the only podcasters I know that would call me, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. <laughs> this might be elaborate misdirection. You're, pro you're probably going to, uh, you know, tear us apart. But. <laughs> we shall dive right into it. So we're, we just want to recap on your experience uh, with listening to your dad's recording. What were your favourite moments? What were your highlights? I was surprised that he said that he regretted not pursuing Christianity sooner because, that, yeah, that was actually probably new information to me. But I did have a laugh when he said that I probably would have had a better life, but definitely less fun. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a real chink in the armor, actually. It was like, you know, he has accommodated Christianity very much and he's happy with it. But And like his reference to the fact that Christianity has given him a bit of a moral compass. So I was like, oh, where mm. was this moral code at in your early days but you know you have these regrets so I definitely had a lot of laughs there great um, yeah a lot of good moments yeah a lot of good laughs that's excellent yeah. to get to the the kind of targeted stuff let's go over the questions you know one by one did anything new come out for you about from the the formative memories and moments question uh, yeah, definitely. So I didn't, I obviously knew that he had previous girlfriends etc but I actually didn't really um, appreciate that he had actually had the few long-term and it sounds like quite 
uh, deep relationships with some of these women. Had you heard about this Novia that he he talked about before? No, I had. Well, I definitely hadn't re- heard her referred to as that. I I knew that obviously he lived in Venezuela, and I know that he obviously speaks um, Spanish, etc. And I knew that he had dated, but no, I didn't know about her. And it was interesting hearing some of his responses also saying that he probably doesn't necessarily or wouldn't necessarily want to really be reconnecting with these people from his past because the person that you may have been at 18 or 25 or 30 Mm -hmm. is not the person that you are now. So it's like that person was right for the person that you were at that time, which I thought was quite a good and insightful observation by the Colonel. So then the second main question that we posited on your behalf was about whether the secular part, the early part of his life, whether they were sort of lost years to him and whether he regrets not pursuing his calling of Christianity earlier. That was surprising to me, especially because I kind of know my dad in the sense he's not typically that kind of, you know, nostalgic lives in the past type person holding on to regrets. Like he's very much just move on and live in the moment. And it definitely did sort of make me wonder about, I guess, my own spirituality, because as he rightly said, I, you know, have never believed in God, never kind of pursued any sort of religious calling, etc. And sort of wondering, being like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to be like as I age whether spirituality will become more important to me and am I going to have my own lost years? (laughs) So, yeah, I think back to who I was, say, as, you know, an adolescent or even in my 20s or mid-20s and I think how different I am now and how different my views on the world are, et cetera. And so I feel like it's easy to think that, you know, in your 30s, you're you're an adult now, you've got this whole life thing Mm. a little bit more sorted um, Mm. and you think you kind of really know yourself and, your beliefs and I guess like your value system. But yeah, it was fascinating sort of hearing the way that he spoke and it did definitely make me do a little bit of a double take being like, oh, should I actually be paying a little bit more attention in exploring this element of spirituality? The thing is I I actually, I love getting old. I hate looking older, but (laughs) I love (laughs) getting older in the sense that I do feel like as you progress with life um, and life's experiences, definitely you have a much more kind of enriched and, I don't know, dare I say it, enlightened existence. So, yeah, so it is definitely, yeah, almost like exciting to think that life doesn't just stagnate and then yeah. it just becomes about existing and surviving to know that there is a lot more evolution yeah. to come. Yeah. So w- there was the third question, uh, which was the one about intimate relationships, what did you get out of that one? Any Anything new? Not necessarily new. It probably reconfirmed what I already knew, but it actually made me a little bit, when I say sad, I don't necessarily mean like sad specifically for my dad, but more kind of thinking about, I suppose, men from his mm. generation and I, I guess the way that they were brought up and the mm. experiences, maybe expectations of society to sort of think that, the expectation is that, you know, you don't really open up and you don't necessarily have a lot of these intimate relationships um, where you speak very deeply about your feelings and emotions and Mm. your struggles. Because I think about my own life and look, obviously, I don't know, I can't speak to the experience of men of our generation, but I can at least say as a female, I think about my 
intimate relationships with um, friends and my support system and just how important that is uh, in terms of my life and my mental health and enhancing and enriching my experience through life. So it was actually, it was kind of sad thinking that there was an entire generation of men that don't necessarily or didn't necessarily have that experience. Yeah, and it, I guess it's the the one um, saving grace when I was hearing him talking about that was that he doesn't seem to perceive it as a loss, you know. Mm. It's kind of redemptive for him. He's, he's sort of quite proud yeah. of the fact that he doesn't rely on any, on anyone else. No, um, definitely, because that, that's why I was a little bit hesitant to use the word, oh, it makes me sad. Because mm. he doesn't necessarily seem worse off for it. And I have always um, admired that and seen that as a positive because sometimes I sort of feel like I wonder whether, say, our generation maybe doesn't have enough resilience and stoicism and things get a bit hard and we just want to complain and make memes about it. okay so just to get to the business end of things you know if you sum up all of the stuff that you learned about your dad all of all of this uh, insight or not insight you know do you think your relationship (laughs) do you think your relationship will change even just kind of the experience of doing this podcast as I guess even just a shared experience I kind of like brought to the table a lot of conversation topics that maybe wouldn't necessarily have organically come up so there was Mm that kind of immediate effect. And then also just, and I feel bad saying this, hearing his podcast recording and just how much he had to say and like how much life experience he had that I didn't know made me reflect on our relationship and maybe my role in our relationship and the fact that I haven't necessarily kind of pursued any of those avenues like to want to know about these things or it hasn't necessarily occurred to me, whereas now I'm definitely thinking a lot more about that stuff and more interested in that. So I think that will like colour our future interactions. So to take uh, that, you know, that flurry of intense emotion and deep thought and to turn it into a completely superficial score out of five, um, (laughs) we're going to put you on the spot, Kat, and ask how many ropey tea planters, which has been a bit of an epithet for your dear papa's moustache over the years how many yeah. ropey tea planters out of five would you give the experience oh i see i want to give it a five but then i feel like should five be reserved for that unicorn status you know how like when you talk about a prospective romantic partner you can never give anyone a 10 out of 10 because that's the theoretical unicorn oh, yeah um, right so like i'm tempted to give a five but oh. i feel like if i was to stay true to kind of my grading systems in other areas of life, (laughs) maybe I'll have to give you guys a 4.75 just to stay true to who I am. Oh, look, I love that. I loved how you dangled the five Mm. and then retracted it. And uh, yeah, we're we're happy with the 4.75. That is, that's more than uh, we've got for anything ever in our life. (laughs) So we really, we're really grateful to you for Four and three quarter moustaches. Oh, thank you. Okay. So it's like the fifth moustache kind of has the left hand side clipped off. A little bit. I yeah, love I've it. definitely yeah, done that. There's less of the 70s porn star going on and more of the British gentleman. Well, hey, 4.75 mustachios. Mm. 
I don't know about you, Jump Daddy, but I find that number 4.75 even more wholesome and dad-like than around five. Mm. Yeah, it's like we did well, but we still made a shaving mistake. <laughs> yeah, just a little blood, but nobody panic. Everyone spots a bit in their adolescence. Man, the Colonel is such a classic dad archetype, like <laughs> almost cinematic in his Britishness. But I also kind of feel he's one of a dying breed. Like every one of the Colonel's traits, I reckon some people who don't really know him would glibly call outmoded masculinity. But those close to him, like Cat, would probably just describe as simple, quiet competence. Yeah, toads. Yeah, it goes both ways. And and I'm always kind of flipping between tears that my dad has pretty much no close relationships or like emotional conversations in his life. But then I'm also like wowed by the fact that he seems entirely happy with that self-sufficiency. Yeah, well, self-sufficiency is one way of living your life. I prefer to cohabit with mum. Well, you're not yet 35. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, look, I, I found a lot of hope in this tale. What I fear most of all from my dad's later life is this idea of stagnation. But I agree with Kat, you know, the ropey tea planter's twilight spiritual reawakening shows that personal evolution is lifelong, it's ongoing. Maybe I should take a leaf out of her book. Maybe I should slip a Bible mm. into my dad's old PC magazines. <laughs> Or you can do as I once did for Christmas, buy dad a Bible and secrete a couple of pingers inside. <laughs> True story. I can't believe you did that. Hard pills to swallow and pills he never took. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so continuing on this theme of mind-expanding encounters, next week we've got Father Eiji and Son Tai Chi. Eiji is a Japanese-born timber merchant who brought up his Silicon Valley-based son, Tai Chi, in Australia. But Eiji's approach to raising Tai Chi was sometimes tough love. I actually treated him not my son and said, you're not my son. So join us for that next time. But for now, it's huge thanks to Kat. Huge thanks to the Colonel, a.k.a. El Tigre, a.k.a. the Ropey Tea Planter. Absolute legends. Thank you as well. From the bottom of our hearts to that cat lady in the body of a strapping young lad, St. Quentin. And you know the drill, good people. Please, please, please rate and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio. If you do, thank you. If you don't you because dr tom did you ever know that your dad to me you're everything i am dad to you because we are dad